Here's Cooper, four-man rush for Florida State, going to cut it loose. Phil Yaw Johnson caught it! Inside the 10, Phil Yaw Johnson on his feet, he'll cut back, and Jacksonville State has won at the horn! Hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters Podcast, my name is Steve Bennett, the calendar has just flipped from September 11th to September 12th on the East Coast in the United States of America, and that means that it is opening day of football season, but before we get to the episode, and before we get to the football, there'll be a lot of it, it was the 20th anniversary of September 11th. It just ended here, like I said, on the East Coast. And I'm not going to get into it much. I'll just say that there's a thing we say a lot when it comes to September 11th. We say never forget. And I have witnessed a lot of forgetting. And I'm going to make sure that I'm going to hold those people that I feel have forgotten accountable to the best of my ability in the voting booth. The next few years. I only got one vote. But I'm going to make sure I cast it. To try to hold accountable. The people I feel. Have forgotten. And I hope you do the same. God bless. Everyone in New York. Everyone who lost their lives. The heroes on United Flight 93. And God bless the United States of America. All right, with that out of the way. I'd like to welcome you to Season 10 of the Sportscasters, uh, episode number 19. Now, it's been about three weeks since I last released an episode, but of course I was going at like a Herculean pace from July to August. I kind of backed off a little bit, kind of let the summer play out. I was busy with the family, had a vacation to Pittsburgh, spent some time there, had my 41st birthday, uh, enjoyed that. Celebrated my brother Greg's 35th birthday. Happy birthday, uh, Greggy. Love you. Spent some time with Paula uh, before she had her first day of kindergarten last week. It's unbelievable. And she's uh, so excited to be going to school full day, five days a week. She's such a big girl. I'm very proud of her. Uh, also battled my health a little bit. Wasn't the best, but not the worst. No hospital or anything like that. I'm feeling better. And now tomorrow, the Saints Without Breeze begins. Uh, The first week of the NFL season uh, begins. Of course, we did have Dallas play Tampa Bay. And and I'm sure I'm not the only one when Dallas kicked that. uh, Kicked the field goal or scored the touchdown. Whatever they did last can't remember. Field goal, I guess. Yeah, Zerline hit the field goal. And there's a minute and whatever left. I just thought, oh, they lost. You knew, you knew Brady was going to march down and win the game. And he did. And a questionable OPI uh, by Chris Godwin there. I probably thought, personally thought it was offensive pass interference. Uh, Seems like he extended the arm to uh, gain separation. Uh, but not so, according to the ref there. And that's all that matters. 
Of course, that's not something you can review. We tried that, and the refs just refused to change them. So it was a bust. But, you know, Brady does what Brady does, and I don't think he surprised anyone by doing it. And the Bucks are 1-0. The Cowboys are 0-1. Although I think they made a lot of people feel like they'll be the best team in the NFC East. But we'll see what happens on Sunday. And at the end, one last thing will be football picks, NFL picks. I'll pick the, you know, division winners, playoff teams, pick some awards. I'll throw those at the end. This way you guys can all make fun of me at the end of the year when they're terrible picks. Next week, Wednesday, I'm flying out to New Jersey. I'm going to spend some time with Anthony uh, in New Jersey, and I'm also going to see the first Pearl Jam concert in three years. Uh, They last played, I believe, on September 4th, uh, 2018 at Fenway Park. And there hasn't been a show since. And they will play their first one in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And I will be there for that. First Pearl Jam show in three years. Just if it's on the East Coast, I will be there. On the West Coast, I'll probably be there. Uh, and I get to spend uh, five or so days with Anthony as well. And um, meet Hollywood Dave from the 24-inch podcast. And some other friends from New Jersey and New York City as well. So I'm looking forward to that trip. But before we do that, we have business, and of course that business is the Sportscasters, episode number 19 of season 10, or 11, excuse me, season 11, the 10th year of the Sportscasters. And one thing I wanted to do for the 10th year of the Sportscasters was play more from the catalog, and I've never gotten around to doing that. I'm going to take a small step towards that tonight. Now here's the story, and this is the honest truth. First of all, Nick Underhill from... New Orleans football is going to be on to, to preview the Saints season, and that will be next. And I'll just say this. We recorded this on August 13th. So obviously since then, Jameis Winston officially won the quarterback battle, although we basically say in there that he probably will. Uh, the Saints finally did trade for a cornerback, and we said they probably would do that at a cornerback. So, of course, there's some things that have happened since we recorded, uh, but nothing that it makes the interview any worthwhile. Nick Underhill's one of the best beat writers in the country. His site, New Orleans Football, is amazing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing you hear my interview with Nick and him being on again. I'm a subscriber to his site. If you're a Saints fan, you should be as well. Now, I had planned on presenting that interview with another interview that I recorded with a former NFL player who has his own football podcast. And I thought when I was planning the the day, the the football preview that I did for weeks, I said I want to mix in old friends with some debuts. For example, Stuart Mandel was on, an old friend. We debuted with Nicole Auerbach. Aaron Schatz was on, an old friend. We debuted Vic Carucci. I had another debut in mind. Nick Underhill's a, a debut today, and I had another debut as well. And I emailed this person. I went to their website, and there was a contact form. I filled it out. I've done this hundreds of times. It was very brief, very polite. said, I'd love to do a 30-minute interview with you previewing the NFL season. I linked the Sports Illustrated article. 
I said I'd do it any time, and I hit send. I got a response back fairly quickly, and they said, would you do this at 6 a.m. on Monday? Because if not, I'm not sure when I would be able to do it. So I said, all right, no problem. I'll do it 6 a.m. on Monday. So then he wrote me another email, and he said, well, okay, but if we're going to do that, email me, text me on Sunday night, and remind me, and then I will text you back between 6 a.m. and 6.45 a.m. on Monday morning to let you know I'm ready for the interview. So apparently, I was just to get up, sit in front of the laptop, and wait from zero to 45 minutes for him to be ready and call him to do the interview. I said, no problem. I text him. The night before. And he responded at about 6.15 or 6.20. Somewhere in between there. The next day to say he was ready for the interview. So I called him. We got started. We did about 15 minutes. He was answering the question that I had asked last. Around the 15 minute mark. And he sort of wrapped the interview up. He said, ah, da, 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 this is the answer. All right, Steve, it was really great being on with you today. And I said, oh, are you trying to get off? And he said, yeah, I've got to call my mother. So I said, well, why don't you let me ask another question, and then I'll end it. And he said, okay. I did that. I said, thank you, said goodbye. And I've been stewing on it and stewing on it for a while. And I decided I'm not going to run it. I talked to Jeff Passon on it. He thought I should run it. Then he thought I shouldn't run it. Thought I should. I don't know. I asked him. I asked my friends. I asked my mother. Should I do this? Shouldn't I? And I'm just not going to run it. I'm just not going to plug it. If you think I'm wrong, that's fine. You can email me. We can discuss it if you'd like, if it's that important to you. Uh, But I just felt disrespected. And I didn't feel like the interview was worthwhile. And I had something I was trying to do with the interview. And I never got to do it. It's incomplete. So it's not worth it. So today we're going to have Nick Underhill. And then we're going to have the book club update. And then we're going to have something I've never done before. And I put together about a 45-minute clip package from the Andrew Marchand, Nicole Auerbach, and Vic Carucci interviews from last month. Now those shows are really coming out fast and furious. You might not have got to hear all of them. It might have got... Cut up in your feed. I took about 15-minute chunks out of each of them, separated them with a really cool news sound effect that we use on 24-inch podcast, and put it all together. And what you're going to have today is this. You're going to hear me now. We'll take a break. You'll You'll hear Nick Underhill. Then you'll hear me for the book club update. Then we'll take a break, and you will hear about 45 minutes worth of Andrew Marchand, then Nicole Auerbach, and then... Vic Carucci. It's about 15, 15, 15. And they're separated by a sound effect. And then you'll hear remix to a remix. We'll do some plugs. And I'll do one last thing, which will be football picks. So there it is. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Tell me what you would have done. Especially any podcasters listening. But I'm not going to run it. I'm just going to move on. And look, I recorded it a while ago, and I haven't heard from that person to say, like, where is the interview? 
So they don't care either way. Uh, so I don't care either way. And I'm moving on. But I'm very excited for you to hear Nick Underhill. Saints season starts tomorrow. I've been a fan since 1987. Uh, so that makes this year number oof, 10 and 97, 20 and 07, 30 and 17. So 34 years a fan of this team. Next year will be my 35th season. But it'll be my first season since 2006 uh, without Drew Brees. It will be Team Jameis. So remember, keep in mind as you listen to this interview with Nick Underhill, we recorded it on Friday, August 13th. Um, so keep those caveats in mind when we talk about a QB battle, although we kind of seen where that was going. Uh, and the addition of a cornerback, which are the two main things that have happened since then to the Saints. And of course, Latavius Murray was cut, uh, which didn't surprise me considering how well Tony Jones has played this summer. So, all right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Nick Underhill. Got an angel on the stairs. It's half you to even care. Our first guest tonight is from Erie, Pennsylvania. He covered the New Orleans Saints, then left to go to New England, where he covered the New England Patriots for ESPN.com, before coming back to New Orleans to start his own site, NewOrleans.Football, where he covers the Saints today. He's making his first appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Nick Underhill. What's up, Nick? How you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on uh, New Orleans Football. Um, I've just been enjoying every day. You're my eyes and ears at camp, and it's a big camp. And uh, every day I around you know the middle of the afternoon, I start refreshing my Twitter every 15 minutes to see if the uh, the training <laughs> report is up yet. But before we get to the new news, since this is the first time we've talked, I want to do a little bit of old business because uh, I was lucky enough living in Buffalo to be able to be at the opening game in 2006 in Cleveland. Uh, so I was at the very first regular season game of the uh, Breeze and Peyton era, and I always tell this story that, you know, I, I got in right away, and the stadium was pretty much empty, but, you know, I wanted to get in and watch the guys warm up and everything. And the very first person I seen was almost nobody on the field, but Sean Payton taking this big, huge lap around the field. And I remember just watching him and thinking, oh, man, I hope we hired the right guy. You know, because uh, <laughs> at this point, I had been a fan since 1987. So, you know, what's that? Mora, Dicka, Haslett. I got to be missing at least one. I don't know. A few damn coaches had come and gone. Interim coaches as well. But, yeah, I just remember thinking that, you know. And then, uh, but I want to look back for a second at the Breeze and Peyton era before we move on. And, and, and. Just in a way of, I just want to know from you, like, kind of a fun memory. Like, what what plays stand out? Like, when when people are going to say to you, "Oh, you got to watch Breeze and Peyton together," you're telling your grandkids, like, what are some plays or some moments from the run that that stick out to you? It's just moments you're not going to forget from that era. Oh man, you know, for for me, it's kind of just like smaller moments and just like the continued 
excellence and just the way they went about things like the same way over and over. And, you know, I, I think for like just Peyton in general, like the way they changed their team from 16 to 17, I'm not sure that it was like immediately obvious to everybody, but just the brilliance of, of like being able to to look at what Breeze was doing and what he wasn't doing and then changing the offense, condensing it and amplifying him in the final years of, of his career. And look, they came up short a couple of times. Yeah. They probably should have got one more Super Bowl. I don't know if, you know, that's necessarily all because of them. Some circumstances happened to, you know, well, they got cheated the, the one year. Play. Yeah. They got cheated. <laughs> right. And I mean, look, people always say, Hey, they could have came back and won in overtime and breeze through that horrible pass in overtime. But look, I mean, you lose your chance to go on a, on a horrible play. It's kind of hard to get like reset yeah. back in the moment, but the, the moment man, ate him up the entirety of it. All, the moment ate him up. I'll did, admit that, did. And, but we got cheated. Yeah. 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 They, I mean, look, they, they definitely did. And you know, but, but man, just, you know, the, the game where Breeze set the, the yardage record, I mean, that's kind of cherry-picking, but that was just kind of like a, a surreal moment to, to be in the building. and That was kind of, you know, where, the, where it stopped. The, the Redskins game? And think of everything. Or the yeah, Falcons that, that game? Yeah, that was definitely one. Okay. I didn't know which one you – what uh, yardage yeah, record they, you meant. <laughs> right, I didn't know if you meant <laughs> yeah, Falcons the, the, or the Redskins. Okay, the Washington one. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, the Traquan Smith Traquan, play. Uh, yeah. But, man, it's just – it's just, it's just all of it, really. And look, I, I covered Brady before that, and just kind of having like the perspective of of that greatness to this greatness, and just you know all of it, and seeing the similarities between the two people and their preparation. And look, it's it's little things like it, it stretch. You know, both those guys, you you can set your clock to the way they're going to stretch every single day, where they're going to set their helmet down, when they're going to get up relative to the rest of their teammates. You know, for Breeze, it was always a competition to be the last man standing to stretch harder than everybody. And that, those are the things I remember about him just in, you know, that stupid stuff with, with the stretching, I think you see in his game and in his greatness, because every detail is it's a competition and, and he has to be the best stretcher on the new Orleans saints. And that means, you know, it, it's going to show up somewhere else. So those are the things I think about when I think of Breeze. Yeah. I was lucky. Well, I went to the year here at his thumb. Um, I had plan I was, had a rough 2019, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to a game this fall, and kind of, I'm like, if this is the last year for Breeze, I want to see him play in the Dome one more time. And I just, boom, made in like 10 minutes, made all my reservations, and then told my wife I was going. And uh, and um, <laughs> then, of course, the next, like a few days later, he gets injured, and I'm like, oh, my God. But um, <laughs> it was the Tampa game was the one I was at, and I was lucky enough to get a field pass from Joe Buck, and I was walking around on the field, and he comes out, and he's standing like at the 50-yard line, 40-yard line or so, doing thumb exercises and stretching and kind of taking some reps it looked like out there. You know what I mean? And uh, just kind of visualizing whatever he was doing. But And then he walked right by me, and I was able to to get a picture and, and, and tell him how much I loved him and gave him a hug he probably didn't want. But uh, I didn't want to shake his I was too nervous. I tell him I was too nervous to shake his hand. I went for the hug. I want to hurt his thumb anymore absolutely yeah but um you know for me just a couple moments just to throw out for the discussion for the fun of it the Devery Henderson touchdown in 2009 against the Patriots I mean when he when when that when the screen the TV watching on TV when it flips and you see only Henderson in the screen you know what I mean you know he's about to catch this I remember just standing up at the on my like standing up 
turned to my buddy that was watching the game with me and thinking like, wow, we're doing this to the Patriots. You know what I mean? Forget everything that had yeah. already happened this year, but wow, we're doing this to the Patriots. This is the real thing. You know, I just remember feeling that way about that. Um, I also remember the first year, the de- the Sunday night game against Dallas. You know what I mean? The um, Was it Mike Carney game? Um, you yeah. know, uh, he had three TDs, I think, in that game. Um, and uh, Reggie Bush caught a really long TD uh, in that game with a screen pass that went way farther than it should have because of his talent into the end zone. That was another moment to stick out, just like after sitting through that long 3-13 and and the Katrina season and everything. It's like I know, like Gleason, that moment's unbelievable, like a top moment ever. But there were some other great moments in that season too and like that Bush screen play there or there was another time against San Francisco, a team that had tortured us for so many years. They're killing San Francisco, and Reggie Bush is like about to score his fourth or fifth touchdown in the game, but he's running so fast that he knocks the ball out of his hands with his knee. Um, <laughs> kind of little things from that season I remember. The, the Henderson play, you know, obviously the unbelievable highs and lows of that NFC Championship game. Just like, you know, yeah. they scored, we scored, like back and forth. And and then the other, the other thing um, – my whole family and all my friends were there for the Super Bowl and everybody wore a Saints shirt, you know, and everyone was there with me. And um, that's why I can't cheer against the Bills anymore because they were there that day with me, you know, all these Bills fans and they were just all there, you know, and the hysteria in my house for when Tracy Porter picked off that ball. I had just had surgery and my brother was in charge of the whole playoffs of keeping me calm and he did a good job until um the Tracy Porter interception and I remember as I was jumping into his arms coming down and seeing the look of horror in his eyes knowing he'd be in trouble with my mother for uh for losing control of me but those are the things I'll remember and of course this <laughs> the second wave you know um Breeze battling back in Minnesota and winning that game for them yeah. you know I, it didn't hold but he you know they were in a seven he did that twice in the playoffs you know battle back from a 17 point hole um to win the game and the defense couldn't hold it in San Francisco and then in uh, Minnesota and getting cheated. What did Peyton say to the ref? He said, uh, it's a legacy changing mistake. Right. So I don't know. Those yeah. are a few for me. Look, that's seven. T- the, the, the battle, the battling back too, like the seventh yeah. game against Minnesota, like it, people forget because of the way it ended, just how, how unbelievable that second half comeback was and how far yep. down they were in, if they had won that game, that would have been that would have been a legendary moment on his resume, and it gets lost because you know Marcus Williams misses a tackle and <sighs> Stephon Diggs scores that touchdown. But I mean, man, that that was you know, it, there's just so many moments you can look like virtually anywhere and just find like an unbelievable thing that Breeze did, and like it's just you know which ones rise above the others because like it's just all so great. Even in those seven and nine seasons, like man. The fact that they won seven games in fifteen with that team, like with James Anderson starting games at all linebacker, breeze. it's all breeze. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. It, it, and it's a shame that you know things fell apart for him because you know he he really should have got another ring. And I mean, it's 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 got to be a feeling of disappointment, you know, for everybody in that building that that they just didn't get that one more because you know with two, I think Peyton's probably you know his his Hall of Fame credentials are a lot better, and he still has time to get there, but. You know, Breeze is obviously in, but he deserves that. That you know, he should have as as many rings as you know. Uh, you know, one is just not enough for his career and for what he did. And it, sure. it's, it's a shame because you know, twenty years from now, people are going to look back and say, 
oh, he only won one, you know, people that didn't experience his career and they're going to use that to kind of discredit him. And, you know, I think some of the circumstances around it are, are beyond his control. Yeah. And I mean, like you think of the best teams that didn't win it, you know, that that team that lost in San Francisco. Well, Breeze won that game for them twice in the last five minutes. You know, he drove them down yeah. the field two times to take the lead in that game. And the defense just couldn't hold. And the saddest thing about that is, is Green Bay loses the next day. You know what I mean? And, you know, they would have had an NFC Championship game against an average Giants team in the Superdome. And I know yeah, I just don't see us losing that game. You know what I mean? And you get to take a shot at the Patriots yeah. there. And then, you know, in, in uh, the, the losing to the um, Minnesota, you know, again, he drives them. There's a fourth and four. I remember on that drive and I remember just burying my head in my brother's shoulder like, oh, my God, is the season going to end on this play right here? And he just was so calm, snaps the ball. Just I think it was maybe Willie Sneed who didn't do a lot that year, but makes a big catch on that drive. I think it was Willie Sneed. Um, and then again, they you know, they can't hold it. And, um, you know, the the getting cheated in uh, in the game against um, St. Louis. And again, if they win that game, he gets to take a shot at Brady and the Patriots. If they win that game, not only does he have two Super Bowls, but he beat Peyton Manning and Tom Brady to get him. You know what I mean? Which... Yeah. Yeah, and that eleven that eleven Patriots team wasn't it wasn't that good. Like, no, the they, was, they was pretty bad. Julian Edelman, Julian Edelman played cornerback at times that season. Like they just they weren't like they were like a historically bad defense in terms of yardage. Like the Saints probably would have ate him up. Strong case to be made, you know that if they win that game there they can win that super bowl with the home game against the giants yeah not the 15 and one yeah packers who had just that horrible tragedy with coaches assistant coaches son just you know they bad week they got chipped off but insane all right let's transition here to the to the saints because the last four years which you kind of mentioned there's been so much pressure i feel like in august you know high expectations it was a good thing the teams were good but there was also that thing we've been talking about the second breeze and Peyton ring and the pressure to try to get it and you know they pulled out all the stops and of course last year you know it just was doomed from the start it felt you know with the unfortunate breeze controversy early in the season and then you know you lose the home field advantage because of COVID-19 which has been so huge for them you know having to play basically the whole year with nobody in the dome um, you know, uh, Michael Thomas hurts his ankle blocking. I don't know why he's even out there, whatever, uh, right away. Um, Breeze is injured on and off. You know, it just, I don't know. There was never one point in that season, Nick, last year where I thought they were going to win it. You know, I just, it never felt, it never felt in the cards to me that year, you know, I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like a, a like a Saints defender here. But like the, the the Mike Thomas being out there in Week One thing doesn't like stand out to me as like a, a major error. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, they didn't have pre. They didn't have preseason. You're playing Tom Brady in Week One. What was it? Thirty four to seventeen at the time. Like I, I get that. But like, do a lot of teams like pull out their starters in, in Week One and like in a season, especially where there wasn't preseason games, where you're trying to get some rhythm and flow going? And you know, I don't know. I it just felt like the circumstances who they were playing. There's what eight minutes left. I mean, it still is Tom Brady on the other side, and you know if they score twice, all of a sudden you're you're in trouble. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I see the argument there, but I, you know, I see the flip side too, where it's like, you know, who you're playing, the circumstances, all that. And you know, I, I just don't know, but yeah, I mean, look, last year, the amount of games that, that they were able to win with the team they had was crazy. Like, I, I can't believe that they ended up being as good as they were. And look, if we're being honest, like, I think it was fairly obvious the whole season that, that Brees just wasn't quite, you know, Drew Brees and, and they won a lot of games, uh, you know, in spite of his inability to, to push the ball down the field, he was injured. He, he hurt his foot at some point. He had the rib injury. I mean, there was just a ton of stuff going on. And, and once his wife revealed the, the laundry list of injuries he was dealing with, like a, a lot of it made yep. sense. Mm-hmm. But I still, I still thought they were, they were close. I didn't think they were going to, they were going to win the Super Bowl. I actually thought they were going to, Somehow find a way to win that Bucks game, and I, I thought they were actually kind of close to winning it. I mean, if Jared Cook you know, doesn't fumble, the game, they're going to win that game, in my opinion. If that Jared Cook, that? yeah, yeah, I, I I agree totally with that. And then even early in the game, if they could have just done something with the field position, Deontay Harris, you know, yep. kept giving them mm-hmm. um, the game. The game changes a little bit. You know, I think eventually they they would have got knocked off, but you know, I, I I don't I don't think that Bucks team was like far and away better than who the Saints were at that point in the season. Um, but look, I mean, the amount of games they won last year it was one of the things that, that gave me confidence about the team this year. And, you know, since <laughs> the last month has gone on, it's just kind of gotten chipped away with, you know, bad news after bad news after bad news after sure. bad news. And David Onyemata, Deontay Harris, you know, mm-hmm. Lattimore. Feels like every day. I don't know day. if he's going to be suspended by. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Lattimore will be suspended week one, but it feels like it's coming at some point. Like it, the, the shoe's going to drop at some point. Um, the Mike Thomas situation, losing Will Lutz for a team that, that probably isn't going to be able to, to drive as well as it has in the past and will probably have some stuff stall out, you know, more frequently than the Breeze-led Saints. That I, I think that's a huge deal. It's just, it feels like a, a lot right now. But the one thing is, it, it, it is temporary. And I think by week six, week seven, the Calvary is back together. And if you can survive that, that first stretch of the season and beat Washington, New York, Carolina – you know, maybe there's a spot where this team can still be good and, you know, kind of galvanize and, and gel and get going and, and get on a run in the second half. But it's it's going to be hard. And, you know, I, I don't know if we've seen a quarterback the things that, you know, I, I would want to see to give me the confidence to, to be all bought in on, okay, it's, it's good and they're, they're rolling and they can be have the quarterback play they had last year even a little bit better. This has been a little bit too inconsistent. I think in moments, both of them have looked good, but it's, you know, a good day for Jameis, a bad day for Taysom, a, a good series for Taysom, a bad series for Taysom. It's just, there's no momentum yet. And, sure. you know, part of that might be the back and forth nature of, of you know, one guy's with the first team for two mm-hmm. days and then they, they switch. And that second team offense, look, I mean, the, the wide receivers that are out there in a typical year would probably be guys playing in the fourth preseason game, trying to prove something on special teams for a spot. And now because Mike Thomas is out, Traquan Smith is out and they didn't really add a lot of depth. Now those are your, your second team wide receivers, the offensive line on the second team. It's a lot of pressure. So, you know, I think getting into these preseason games where you can kind of get a different evaluation and it's a little bit more, you know, structured in, in how you're seeing how they play. I think we're going to get a better idea of, of what they can do, but look, I mean, if every if everybody's healthy, everybody's on the field. The quarterback's just good. I mean, the talent's still there for them. I think to be a, a playoff team, probably not a Super Bowl team, but you know, at this point, it feels like there's a lot more to prove than I would have thought in you know the middle of June, early July, before all this bad stuff started happening. I'm still fairly optimistic for some strange reason. I don't know why. Um, 
I think maybe they could be like the 17 team in a way. You know, who, everything went wrong the first two weeks, right, with Minnesota and New England. Yep. And then they got to 500, and then they got over, and then they went on a run. You know what I mean? And maybe this team could do that, as you said, as the, the season goes on. Maybe it's a, a team that builds as more and more pieces come together. But let's, back up. let's kind of break it down a little bit. So, all right, let's just start with quarterback. So here's my opinion, and I just want you to tell me what I'm right about, what I'm wrong about, whatever. I kind of feel like for Taysom Hill to be the quarterback, he's going to have to really win the battle. Like he's going to have to be far and away better for him to be the QB and for Peyton and the team to be willing to give up everything else he does. Um, Maybe they've already just kind of accepted that. And if he wins 51 49, he's the QB fine. Uh, I would think, he'd have to win 70-30 to be the QB, in my opinion. Um, And I would love for Taysom to be it. I'd love for him to be the next Steve Young. I'd love to be able to see what Sean Payton sees in him as a quarterback. Um, But I don't know that I have yet. And part of me just wants Jameis to win it because I think about the season he had in Tampa Bay before, and I think about the kind of coach that we have and, and how much I believe in him and, I just think, man, that could be that could be a comeback player of the year type story that takes us to a level that maybe we're not thinking about yet. Where do you stand on everything I just said there and, and kind of the quarterback battle in general? I think assuming like a certain level of, of competence from both players that I you know, I think I think you're right that, that Jameis wins anything that you know that's even a, a push. Right. I, you know, just because of the, the reasons you said that that you take Taysom out now. If they're both shaky and, and they're uncomfortable with what both guys are doing, I could see a scenario where at that point you say, you know what, like we got to mask some of this stuff in the, in the passing offense. Let's see what we can do with, with Taysom and, you know, do this weird stuff and, okay. you know, try to try to run the ball more and Gimmicky. hide it a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be that bad though. Like I, what we're seeing is, is, is good enough. It's not disastrous. Both guys are protecting the ball. Well, you know, I think going through the first, what is it, 13 practices now, there's maybe three decisions by Jameis that stand out is bad. And look, in this situation where everything's, you know, hyper-analyzed and, and you're looking at everything through the scope of, like, the 30 interceptions plus the QB battle, you're grading these things in, yeah. in these moments when you see them in a way that's probably extremely unfair. Like, Drew Brees made bad decisions in practice. He would try stuff. He'd try to fit a ball in a window. And look, it's practice. The stakes are, are, are low. But... You know, with the guy where you're like, oh, he threw 30 interceptions and Jameis makes all these bad decisions. The smallest thing you're looking at it and, and it's crazy. But look, I mean, I, I think we see like a different mindset from him that, you know, obviously he, he's checking down a lot. But even in, in situations, there was one they were in the uh, the red zone, two minute drill. He got down to the five yard line and there was eight seconds on the clock. He got the snap. And instead of, you know, trying to fit the ball in somewhere, he's, you know, feeling the, the time tick down, it gets down to four seconds, fires it out of the back of the end zone, saves the field goal. Like, I think those are, are very telling moments because, you know, most guys, you're in a QB battle and you are, you know, a quote-unquote gunslinger. A lot of people would probably try to score a touchdown there in some form or fashion. Right, look what I can safe. do. And yeah. I think that plays into, yeah, I think it plays into what he's been talking about, just, you know, not being so result-oriented. I, I think I think we're seeing the evidence of, of that thinking now, 
got to test it in the game though and see yep. if it's you know actually real life setting if, if when the pressure's on when there's an actual pass rush coming on like how does he react to that so that'll be interesting to see i also think Taysom's done better too man like he's he's getting through his reads quicker he's doing things faster i don't know if it's all the way where it needs to be his touch you know on passes to to the flats and screens I thought last year in that four-game sample was a, a huge issue. There was actually a play where, where Kamara just kind of slapped the ball down because it was coming in way too hot, and, and he was about to get killed by a linebacker. But, um, you know, there, there's been a little more touch on some of those, not always quite where it needs to be. Some of them still come out a little too hot. But I think we do see growth from him. And this battle has been closer than I actually thought it was going to be. I, I thought Jameis was going to kind of come in and, and run away with it. But it's, it's at least a conversation. I think Jameis is ahead. Um, if you had to pick one right now, I think it'd be easy to go with Jameis. He's probably had the best four or five practices. If you lay out all the performances and just kind of stack them, it's going to take a little while to get one of Taysom's. But it, it is it is closer. It's just that matter of momentum. And if, if Jameis just would have two, three, four good practices in a row, I think that it would be very clear that you know he's he's ahead. But it's it's still close going into these games. This is maybe a little bit silly, but I remember when. It was early in his career, and Tampa was on hard knocks, right? And you get this kind of different look at him. And I just remember thinking, like, this guy's just a child. You know, he's just a kid still. And, you know, I just remember every t- every week I'd be like, this this is a, this is a little child. This is a kid. You know, he's just he's a, he's a, he's a kid with a, a billion dollars and a, and a billion dollar arm, and he's just not there. And now every time I hear him talk, it's so different. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like he's always saying the right things. And I know you can learn that kind of thing that can get coached into you or whatever. But every time you guys ask him a question, he's saying like, oh, you know, my time with Breeze, you know, he taught me this and I learned this. And, you know, he's got great charisma and everything. Like, he just, I don't know. He's speaking to me in a way. He's grown on me so much since, like, the day he signed here. You know what I mean? Like, my... Maybe I'm building something up in my head that isn't realistic for him. And again, don't get me wrong. I, if Taysom is the best of the two and can win the job, I'm fine with it. You know what? Like, let's go. I'm ready to be, you know, Taysom Hill fan. I'm ready. You know, no, I wasn't like a hater of him. You know, some fans are like, oh, wow, well, you know, whatever. But I always thought he was better for us than not. So, but I don't know. Like, There's just like a maturity no, to Jameis. You know what I'm trying to say? There's just something there that like. He's making me believe in him. I agree with you. Know? you. Yeah, I agree with it completely. He, he always says the right thing. The way he says it is, is it's almost inspiring. You know, it just yeah. like, listen to the way he, he talks. It just kind of makes you want to buy into everything. Look, it's interesting, though. Like, the hard knock season, like, he was extremely young in it. Yeah. I remember that, that year he was on there. Like, players on the Saints, they were watching it. You know, he's BS with guys at their lockers and that. And, like, people were talking about his leadership qualities like on the saints, like watching him and being like, man, like James really knows how to like relate to his teammates and everything. I think he's gotten better at all of that. I think he's, he's figured out how to package it a little bit better and, you know, still be himself to where, you know, there's some goofiness to James, but it's like good goofiness. And I think that makes him like relatable and it makes people like him. And I, I think he knows how to channel that and, you know, plus when to be serious. And I think it's just, look, he's, he's only 27 years old. Like he's still a very, like he's still young in the sense of like, you know, normal human age, not football age. Right. But even as a football player, he's still relatively on the younger side of things. And yeah, he's, he's gotten better at all that. And I think, you know, I think that's something that, that he's needed to learn and, you know, going through maybe some adversity and, and, you know, different 
things is, has helped him get to that point. So, you know, I, I think he is someone that, that players want to buy in on. And again, like just, you hear him talking in just the way he talks, the way he, he, he puts passion into everything. Like it, it really makes you believe that he believes everything he's saying. And then you see the way he's playing in his actions and that lends credence to it too. So yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in like his point of view and you know, the way he's leading, it's just like, does the football match it? And that's the big question. You know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, that these preseason games will be good for him. If he's with the second team this week, it might be a little bit harder and there'll probably be some hard reactions if things don't go perfect. But I think when you see that, that term, when he's with that actual good offensive line and the receivers that are a little bit better than the other ones, yeah, I, I'm fairly confident things are going to look good for him when he gets that chance. You know what? You know what it is, Nick. It's almost like I'm thinking of my head. The plan worked. You signed this guy basically for free a year ago, with the plan of let's get him in our room, let's let him learn from a Hall of Famer. You know, and it, sometimes that stuff happens with our teams and it doesn't work. You know, Brett Favre doesn't want to teach Aaron Rodgers anything, like Jeff Perlman documented in his great book about Favre gunslinger. Um, you know, whatever, but it just feels like, wow, this might have actually worked. They took a former number one pick who had kind of burned out on his at his last spot, and they put him with this Hall of Fame guy, and he taught him all this stuff, and he's mixing that with his talent, and, man, we could have the guy the Bucks thought they had when they drafted him first overall, you know? I don't know. Look, I'm a, I'm a believer in their ability to, to develop quarterbacks just based off of Taysom Hill. Now, Taysom might not get all the way to where he needs to be. But sure. I think, look, you, look at go, go look at BYU. Like, there was a video, I think, last year, like, kind of circulated on, on social media just to cut up a one game and just, like, his, his throwing was horrible. Like, yep. there's really no other way to put it. Like, it wasn't accurate. And there was nothing that you would have seen in that clip to say this guy could be an NFL quarterback. I think Taysom's at least proven that he's a, he's a capable backup. Like the, the guy that, that look, he won in he went in and won games for him last year, beat Atlanta yeah. twice. And I think if that Philly, if that Philly game never happened, the way he played against Atlanta in those two games, I, I think that there would be like a different sense of optimism around him. I almost like I, that, that Philly game was bad. And I think that was the one where people kind of saw, you know, who the sample got big enough to see what Taysom couldn't do in, some of the, the follies and, you know, the way that Denver game played out with their quarterback, not being in and changing their game plan. Like that one was almost forgiven. Yeah. It's a wash. Yeah. Atlanta games. Yeah. Yeah. That fourth game came in and now you're looking at that Denver game different and you're kind of like, uh. so I think that changed the conversation, but look, they developed him into like an actual, like capable backup quarterback, a guy that could go in, win some games from, you know, basically that BYU example is, is, is crazy. And yeah. he's gotten better every single year. Look, they didn't, they didn't get it out of Garrett Grayson and, you know, there's outliers, but I think that there's, there's, uh, you know, the, the backup in Tampa Bay too, Ryan Griffin, they, they developed him out of Tulane. Like he was coming from nothing too. Chase so, Daniel, you know, if, if yeah, look, if, if Taysom takes, you know, or I'm sorry, if Jameis takes in that and, and you know, the willingness to learn, which I think he has, and, and you know, the, the atmosphere helps him the way it's helped Taysom. I think that he can improve on the things that held him back. It's just, you know, just can't make those mistakes. Like if he can just go through the season and not lose games for them, and that's going to be the difference this year for the Saints. The quarterback at some point is going to lose games for him. And I don't know if that's really been the truth at any point in the last 15 years. But, you know, how much of, a, of an issue is that? Is it the 30 interception thing? I, I don't think there's any possible outcome 
even if he plays all 17 games where he gets anywhere near 30 interceptions, I, I just think that that's, that's going to go away. You know, I, I think that 30 interception seasons, even an outlier, I think it's unfair to kind of view him through the prism of like, oh, this is a guy that throws 30 picks in a season. No, he did it once in an offense that's been hard for Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And, you know, I think he's probably more around the 17, 18, 19, 20. And if you can cut that down a little bit and just make those decisions a little bit better and the rest of this roster gets healthy and everyone's on the field, there is a scenario where they can win games and be a decent team. But the margin of error this year is going to be incredibly thin. You can't have injuries. You can't have other mistakes. And they're going to kind of have to tightrope their way through the season. And there's, again, there's a way that could happen, but it's going to be a little bit harder than it's been, you know, at least especially the last four years. The sportscasters are here with Nick Underhill. His site, New Orleans Football, uh, which is neworleans.football, is one of the best resources for Saints fans. You know, Saints fans are lucky we have a great beat, you know, whether it's Mike Triplett or Jeff Duncan or Kat or Nick. There's great writing and, and information for Saints fans out there. And uh, Nick's site is is maybe the crown jewel of all of it. I highly recommend subscribing. Um, if you are a passionate Saints fan, the training camp reports alone are worth every cent. Um, Nick is there every day, and he takes great notes and keeps stats I didn't even think of tracking during training camp. And I told him before we started, I'm refreshing my phone middle of the day every day just to be able to read the uh, the training camp updates. We'll let Nick plug more of that at the end. A couple quick things before we run out of time, Nick. The roster itself, I know, is not as deep as it was last year for obvious reasons. And I still think, and maybe you can agree or disagree, that there's probably a few players out there who are going to make significant contributions to the Saints that aren't Saints yet. You know, whether that's a cornerback or a different kicker or you know, I, I, maybe a defensive lineman. I don't know, wherever you might, that wide receiver maybe, wherever you might think that depth isn't there, I still think there's time and there'll be at least one or two guys who come in, you know, and make a difference. You know, maybe through a trade or someone who's cut and signed or whatever. But um, I still believe in the roster. I still think they have an unbelievable offensive line. Alvin Kamara is a superstar in the league. I think that, in the end, it won't be Drew Brees, but I think quarterback's going to be okay. We'll save wide receiver. We'll do Mike last because I'm going to get pissed off, so we'll save that for the end. Um, and, I, you know, <laughs> the defense, I think they're, they're going to have a great pass rush. And, yeah, they're going to miss Aminata when he's suspended, but he'll be back. Um, and I've been excited about a couple of the guys rotating in there, um, Ringo and some other guys who you've written about having good camps. I still believe in this team overall, the roster overall, and the guys overall. I think that they can be a playoff team. I think that, you know, they don't have the expectations they have had. They still do very well in Aaron Schatz and Football Outsiders and their projections in the DVOA. And I know he split it. He told me, you know, 500,000 simulations with Winston and 500,000 with Taysom Hill. Um, and they look pretty good there. Um, one of the best teams in the NFC, I think, in the top four. I still think they could be a playoff team, and then you know you just get in the tournament and make a run. But what about the roster in general, and do you agree that there's probably a person or two out there that will make contributions to this team that aren't Saints yet? I think kicker's the obvious one. You know, They're, they're sure. definitely going to be looking around the mm -hmm. league at, at different guys that are out there. And look, right now, like the best 50 kickers are in camp somewhere in they're looking at guys right now who, who haven't kicked in the NFL in two years. 
So Maher will get the, the first shot at it. And I think that was a logical guy to kind of bring in. He's, he's got a huge leg. And again, if some of their, their drives saw it, it deeper areas of the field, like a guy with a huge leg has some value, but I, the consistency is going to be a huge issue with him. He missed two kicks yesterday. He took six kicks. First time we've seen him kick in camp. Uh, Interestingly, both of them on the right hash went wide right. So forty yards. Maybe he has too, like right? a left or right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he has like a left or right motion or something in that right hash. He, maybe he needs to adjust it. Um, but yeah, I think that look they're going to go to Baltimore this week. They got two kickers there. Har- Harbaugh is awesome. It's special teams. Maybe maybe it's another Will Lutz. Yeah, maybe he's got Will Lutz too there. The backup behind sure. Tucker. Yeah, yeah. So so that'll be that's one. You know, I think they're going to try really hard to find another cornerback. I just don't know. Who that's going to be and if there's realistically one out there that that can come in and help and you know obviously cj henderson's a name that, that everybody knows that that's available you know that worries me like i, I just need to know like what's wrong with the guy that, that you're already giving up on your first round pick there's, right there's some major flaw there that, yeah. that they're already quitting on him uh-huh. yeah um maybe oakland uh who's the guy that arnett he, he fell out of favor he's, yep. he's third on the depth chart like i think those are the type of players you're looking at and it's it's at least someone to come in and compete with Ken Crowley for that other job. I don't think you want to just give that job to Ken Crowley. If he beats someone out and, and earns it, that's great. Um, Patrick Robinson, I think, was, was that level of player. And I thought Crowley, by the end of this, was probably going to end up beating him out the way he's playing in camp if he, was, if he keeps it up to the preseason. But, you know, that's a scary situation. And, you know, uh, Adebo is, has been solid in camp, but I, I don't know if he's all the way there yet where you trust him. But look, if Lattimore gets suspended, Debo and Crowley are your starters. One of those guys gets hurt. All of a sudden, you're playing a player like, you know, I, I don't even know, Adonis Alexander, Prince uh, <laughs> Amu Kamara, right. if he makes the team. Like, that, that's that's not a good situation to be in. So they at least need one more guy for depth. And, you know, I still think defensive tackle, they, they just claimed the guy off waivers yesterday. But I yep. think that's still a spot, too, where they'll keep their eyes open for younger players. I know they like Jalen Dalton. Uh, you mentioned Christian Rengo. He's, he's another solid player. Malcolm Roach has been real solid on the nose this camp. He's, he's taken a big step forward from uh, last year and shot titles still there too. But if they could get like maybe one more guy, just to add to that mix, it wouldn't surprise me, but you know, I, I am cautiously optimistic that like Jalen Dalton and Malcolm Roach could be enough to get through the first six games without, without Anyamata. And then, you know, and you're, you're, sub rush and third downs, maybe Peyton Turner moves inside and, and rushes some, uh, uh, passing yoke and do some of that. So there, there is some mix and match there, but I think they'll have their eyes open for, you know, one more guy that can contribute. And obviously wide receivers, another one, but for some reason they don't seem to think that's as big of an issue as everyone else. Yeah, they're and crazy. Look, historically, <laughs> historically they've been able to, they've been able to scheme guys open and turn Willie Sneed and Lance yeah, Moore that and was other Drew players. Brees. That was know, Drew Brees. The, I don't know. I don't know. That was Drew Brees. Yeah, so, I don't know. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the magic is maybe the magic is all Sean Payton's scheme, and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. But I think Brees had something to do with that. But look, he knows his offense. If he thinks it's going to work, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of doubt and reserve sure. judgment. But it, it, need, it needs to be right. It needs to be right if you're just going to kind of stand pat and be good with what you got. Let me throw out a name that I was thinking about the other day, and you tell me if this is crazy, and just no chance in hell. Maybe it is. I know it didn't end great, necessarily, but I don't think that, I don't know. What if Houston decides that they'd rather just get a minimal asset for Brandon Cooks, and you got a guy who knows the deal already, catch him up pretty quick, he's still talented, he's got five 1,000-yard seasons, 
what if that you think that that's an insane poss- like beyond the realm of possibility or do you think that that's something that could happen am i just being crazy i don't think i don't think it's insane i mean he's he's a good player like you said knows the system you know i'd be worried about like the you know i don't like to talk about this kind of stuff but like i'd be a little bit worried about like his concussion history just having him right the team but like you're yeah. looking for a long term but look i mean he, he he can get deep this is an offense again that can get deep and look credit to brandon cooks i think he handled it the, the absolute wrong way and everything he, he did like after noticing this was, was negative and could have been handled much better but he was the first person in the world to tell everybody that there was something off with Breeze's arm and like they couldn't get down the field the way they used to and then you know by 17 there was the very public admission with the offense changing and them just not throwing the ball that way. But so, you know, I think the offense in hindsight, when you look at it, like his frustration was maybe warranted a little bit. It's, it was just on the, the wrong way, but and the wrong be week. the first player that, that cut. Yes. Right. The wrong, the week, wrong week to do it. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, there have, there, there have been situations where people have, you know, come back and, and, they, they looked at Jimmy Graham again, even after that situation went sour, he chose to go to green Bay that year. So it wouldn't be the first time that they kind of let somebody back in that they, that they were real down on. Um, but you know, he would help. He, he's someone that knows the offense. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't be insane to me. I'd be a little surprised if that happened, but it wouldn't be insane to me that if they, if they made that type of move. Right. It definitely wouldn't be a surprise at all on the Houston side that they moved that guy for an asset. Right. I no. mean, yeah, would it be here? Who knows? All right, we got two minutes left. So it's it's two minutes before 11.45. So you take this. You know your schedule, so you, you deal with it how you want. Tell me why I shouldn't be just completely fed up with Mike Thomas, because I am. I have had it with him. I'm out of patience. Um, everything he has done since the summer or the spring of 2020 to now has just rubbed me the wrong way. Um. Comments about Breeze, whether justified or not, but very public. Um, you know, throwing a punch at a teammate, constantly his injury, you know, not answering the team's phone calls, blowing off a doctor's appointment. It's unbelievable. I'm just, I, I just kind of just would rather he's gone. Um, but I know he's a talented and, you know, so I'm fighting the demons on this one. So go ahead, Nick. Mike Thomas, what do you well, think? Look, I think the first thing is, I think they're 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 all better together, and not having to get rid of a guy and take on a thirty-two million dollar uh, dead money and just to have him go play somewhere else. If you can resolve that situation, right? At least in the short term, I think that's that's extremely smart. And then next year it's twenty-two million, so I think it'd be best if if they find a way to coexist at least for two years. And you know, there's a report about them having the conversation and kind of easing some of that tension. So it looks like it's at least heading the right direction for this season. Now what happens after this season, we'll see. He gets back in the building. Things don't go right. Does it flare up again? You know, I don't think by any means the situation is completely resolved. As far as, you know, being frustrated with him, I, I think that's extremely justified. I, I think, you know, the, the coach showed you that he was frustrated and that the actions were off and made the public calling out and let it be known that Mike handled the situation the wrong way. You know, from Mike's perspective, and, and I'm just guessing here just off of the – you know, the interactions I've had with him over the years, because Mike's hard to reach. He hasn't said anything about this and I, I doubt he'll ever talk about it. Um, just because that's kind of who he is. He'll, he'll just make social media posts yeah, and, the and just never posts. really elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
You know, I, I think from his perspective, though, like I, I believe truly that he's someone that loves football more than anything in the world. I think he needs football. I think football is part of his identity. And I think he's very aware of his standing within the league and, and who he is and where he's at in that, that Hall of Fame chase and solidifying his, his place among the greats. And I think that stuff matters to him a lot. So I don't believe that he deliberately tried to sabotage a season or, or did the Scotty Pippen thing and say, hey, I'm not messing up my summer. I'm going to rehab on their time. Okay. I would guess that he truly thought that, that he was rehabbing, things were going right. And I think he probably believed he was further along than he was. And then he gets mandated to go back for mini camp and, you know, they see the ankle and they got to send him out. And, you know, the, the hard part of that is, is, is blowing off the doctor's appointment and not returning calls. Like, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. That that's, those are the things you can't really answer. And that's, you know, gross mismanagement in on his part, you know, just kind of step away, not, not do what he was supposed to do. And at least like allow there to be some type of, you know, conversation between, whoever you're seeing for your rehab and the Saints doctors. So they at least know what's going on and they can look at it and look, if they got an opinion that says, Hey, maybe you should go get it checked out and maybe it's time for surgery. You know, that's, that's, you don't have to listen to it, but at least have those conversations and you can't be closed off to everybody. Um, But look, I understand Mike's point of view. A lot of athletes don't want to get surgery, but you have to set that point where it's all right. If I get the surgery now, August 29th and I got, Yeah. yeah, you gotta have you gotta have that that kill date. And if he had missed the whole training camp and comes back August 29th, no that's fine. You got no one care. Yep, no one care. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you can push it as long as you want, but there has to be that kill date where you go and do it. So I mean, if people are frustrated with him, I mean, I I don't know if there's until he tells us his side of the story and if there's some you know something that happened that that changes the optics of everything. I don't think there is anything you can say that that says hey you shouldn't be frustrated with this guy because. Based off of what we know, it just didn't get handled, you know, as best as it could have. You know, you know what he could do to win me over is beat the timetable back by even one day. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just show me that getting back as quick as you could means everything to you. And I'm willing to forgive a yeah. guy as talented as Mike as Michael Thomas is. I'll forgive him in a second. You know what I mean? I want to forgive him. Um, so. I'll right. just say that. Just find a way. Just just give me anything to to uh, to love you again. All right. It's at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. Uh, New Orleans dot football is the site. It's fantastic. Also has a Twitter at no dot football. The word dot n o d o t football. Um, also n o f dot tv for the podcast. Um, Nick, thanks for all the time. Anything else you want to mention or plug about the site? Signing up. I know there's four or five different options in terms of tiers. Pay annually, monthly, however you want to do it. All kinds of great options. Um, anything else you want to mention in terms of the site? No, I think you got it, man. It's just, um, you know, if if you like the Saints and you like kind of the deeper coverage, film studies, um, analysis, maybe looking at things a little bit differently than, than kind of other people. That's what we try to do. And we try to fill in that area where, maybe the hardcore fan doesn't necessarily get as served um, with some of the, the deeper stuff. So that's what we're about. And if you like the science, you like the stuff, I think the site would be the site for you. Yeah. And Nick's Twitter is great too. He's not afraid to interact with, uh, with fans. I mix it up and answer questions and talk. He's you're great at that. So I'd suggest that at least starting with a Twitter follower. And then I guarantee from there, uh, you'll be nosing around on the site and subscribing before you know it. 
Uh, all right, th thank you so much for the time. I know you got to get on a flight, go to Baltimore. On your way out, just give me a record and like a, a sentence that will describe the uh, 2021 Saints at the end of the year. Not boring would be the thing that I would say right. describes them. And the they 2021 are, yeah, Saints, interesting no matter what. The 2021 Saints were not boring. Okay, I like it. <laughs> and look, I'm, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it ten and seven. I was a little bit higher uh, okay. before, but you know, some of the stuff that's happened. That's probably a playoff team. Lives, kind of made me move it down a little bit. Yeah, that's probably a playoff. Yeah, team, it is. Right? It, yeah. They got you know the they got the extra team now, so I think ten wins gets you in. I, I think they can get there and. You know, I just, I just kind of believe in Sean Payton's ability to coach. They, like I, we said before, they won seven games with some like really horrible, abysmal rosters. Granted, it was Breeze, but I still think that some of that magic is there. The rest of the roster is good. I think the defense will be solid, even if CB2 is a little bit soft. So I think they can get the 10 wins if, if they survive the early uh, portion of the season. If we ever have a bad couple of weeks or anything, this is the go-to. You just go, well, at least this isn't the 2014 team. You know what I mean? Like you just go to that. <laughs> you just go to that right away. Like yeah, there you yeah. go. Hey, I don't like that corner, but it's not Brandon Browner. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right, all right. Thanks so much, Nick. I appreciate <laughs> you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Nick Underhill for being on the podcast today Alright, quick book club update First of all I owe two of you a copy of Lee Montville's Tall Men Short Shorts book. It's coming. It's all set on the desk here. The labels are printed. I just got to mail the damn things. I don't want to Scott Criscolo. Yeah, a couple listeners. They're coming for you. I promise. All right, another book that's coming for you. It comes out in a couple weeks now. It felt like it was a long way away when I got the book, but now it's only a few weeks 92821 is the on sale date for the baseball 100 uh, by Joe Piznanski. And I can't wait to have Joe on. Can't wait to talk about it. It's awesome. I've told you it's huge. It's full of 100 essays of the 100, I guess, best baseball players of all time. Uh, and it's great to jump around. Whether you want to read about Monty Irvin or Brett Bylevin or Frank Thomas or Willie McCovey, Miguel Cabrera. Grover Cleveland Alexander, uh, they're all in there. They're self-contained essays. It's a fantastic book. It's Joe Piznanski, for God's sake. Uh, and he's going to be on to talk about it soon. Now, there's two other books that I've been promoting, one by Kent Babb and one by Tim Nevert. Now, Tim Nevert was always a little hot and cold, uh, but then every once in a while he'll pop in. So I've been kind of keeping this one as one will do. It's called COVID Curveball. An inside view of the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers World Championship season. Now, I heard from Tim last on September 2nd, and he emailed me a digital copy of the book. And he said that the electronic copy of the book uh, would be on its way, or the hardcover book. He sent me the uh, electronic copy. 
So the hardcover's on the way. Uh, so I've been picking away at that one. And we will definitely have Tim on to talk about the book uh, and also to talk about the Dodgers and what their chances at a repeat looks like. Uh, and I'll set that back when I get home from New Jersey. The other one was with a guy named Kent Babb, who I just kind of never heard from since July, actually. Um, and, you know, I set the pitch. Uh, I gave the plugs. I did get a digital version of the book. But like I said, I haven't heard from Kent since July. I'm going to kind of just move on from this one. It's called Across the River, Life, Death, and Football in an American City. Uh, I'm going to lose. I'm just going to say, I'm going to move on from that one. I have a bunch of other ones um, in my notebook. Uh, some that I've already made contact with the publishers um, and have heard that we will be able to uh, have the author on. For example, um, the Big East book. Uh, which was by Dana O'Neill, is going to be part of the book club. That comes out November 9th, so I should be able to get a copy of that soon. Um, and uh, there's some others as well. So we'll move on from Kent Babb. We'll hang on to Tim Nevert. We got Joe Piznanski soon, and we'll add some more from there. All right. Like I said, next, what we have is the first mashup in the history of the sportscasters, I mashed up Andrew Marchand, Vic Carucci, and Nicole Auerbach, previewing football from three different directions, some football media, some college football, and some NFL football, put them together, 45 minutes, some of you might have heard, some of you might not have, if you've heard it, you can kind of bow out now if you're not interested in my picks, um, if you want to relive it in a different package, it's kind of cool. Uh, but this is what we're doing instead of playing that other interview that I just thought wasn't worth our time. All right, so with that said, let's take a break, and we'll be right back with the first ever Sportscasters mashup. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I always appreciate having you on. I love... Uh, Talking sports media. Now, here's the first thing I think we got to be clear about. There's been all the news for the last year about this new deal and that new deal, and this is going to be here and this is going to be there, but none of that's this year, right? That We should be clear on that. That's This year is still under the old rules, quote-unquote, so to speak. Exactly. You know, it's funny. First of all, I just want to say I appreciate you doing this. I have to write a preview column about the whole NFL, so I'm just going to be like taking notes for all the topics <laughs> I should hit. Um, this, is like a, this is like my brainstorm section. Yeah, okay, let's session. do it. I You'll love get that. Sports in the paper. Yeah. All right. So yeah, no, none of that. ESPN, I think has. I'm pretty sure they're Saturday. They won't have a doubleheader, but they'll have a Saturday doubleheader the last week of the season. Um, starting this year. Okay. Um, which you know is supposed to be like some flexing games that have some value to them um, as opposed to the doubleheader that they used to have okay. on that first weekend, first Monday. So that's the main kind of change that goes into effect this year. Right, because they're only exactly. doing one Monday night game opening week this year, right? Or are they yep, doing exactly. Right, okay. No, they're just doing one, yeah. Which is too bad. I kind of like that. I thought that was pretty popular, too. I'm surprised that went away. Uh, yeah, it does, but I think for them, they, they prefer to have that Saturday makes sense, game, I guess. Yeah, makes have sense. a piece of the last weekend yeah. instead of being dark for that last weekend of the season, the most important weekend. You're not around. Instead, you'll have that 
what they hope is a big doubleheader on Saturdays. All right, let's start with the booths. Um, I think maybe the biggest, maybe I'm biased, I don't know, but maybe the biggest thing is going to be, is Drew Brees the next Romo, right? Because everyone wants to get the the next Romo hire, and he'll get his shot with Notre Dame football. That'll be his his introduction. That's, I think, an interesting booth story. Um, what else? What else in the booths? You can do a college if you want. I just kind of threw that one out there because it's Brees and NFL. But what about NFL more specifically? Not a lot of changing, right? I mean, the booths we had with uh, with a few jumps here and there, correct? Well, you know, it's interesting that you said the deals. A lot of stuff that I've reported over the years now is coming to fruition. Okay. Yeah, the Drew Brees deal. Yeah. He'll yep. be doing Notre Dame uh, games, and he'll be on the pregame uh, for Sunday Night Football. And then I'm sure he maybe will work in maybe a game or two on Sunday night, you know, where, you know, like they have kind of NBC has extra games sometimes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he does a game or two there. Uh, and so then you have that. Um, you have the Mannings on Monday night. You right. also have on Fox, number two team is now going to be Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Uh, so all these stories that I kind of wrote uh, a while ago uh, are all kind of coming to fruition uh, you know, for these games. So I think there'll be a lot to talk about in terms of, ooh, I think he's good. Olsen's, you know, this guy's good. Breeze is good. This guy's bad. You know, so uh, it's a lot of moving parts. But, yeah, but the top teams uh, remain the same. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but you're right. Breeze is going to be interesting. I mean, do you think, what, what's your opinion? you think he's going to be good or no? Well, I'll tell you this about Breeze. I've watched every single press conference he's given after the game for about seven or eight seasons in a row since they started airing them. And he has unbelievable recall. You know what I mean? His memory for plays that have happened is really great. So I think he's going to be good at reacting to situations that come up in games and comparing them to other situations. You know what I mean? Because I think he just has a really great recall for things that have happened in football. And it's not just his plays. You know what I mean? Like, for example, he'll be saying, like, you know, uh, he'll be talking about, maybe say when they're getting ready for the playoffs last year and games against Brady, you know, and he'll be saying like, you'd think he'd focus on the few times they had played with the saints or something. And he'd be like, well, I remember, you know, watching some Oh six tape with Brady and him and Manning had a game and this, you know what I mean? He's got an unbelievable recall. So I think that could be a huge asset to him. Um, so I'll just say that as a positive, that's what I think he has going for him as for the negatives, you know, I don't know what experience he, – he doesn't really have much experience. Um, there might be some people rooting against him right out of the box because of what happened last March. Um, so there might be some people looking for him to fail because of that. I don't know how prevalent that still is. Um, but I think he's got a chance. The thing is, the other thing going against him, I think, are because – and it's going against anyone who steps into this role, especially quarterbacks – is right away the question is, is he as good as Romo? You know, and there's a chance that Romo's just so good that the answer's always going to be no. You know what I mean? So is that held against him, I guess, would be my worry. If he's not good at... Well, I think... You know know what I'm saying? Go ahead. Yeah, if he's he's not good as good as Romo, does that mean he's not good at all? I don't know. Yeah, and I also think, like, kind of like we were talking about Stephen A. and Chris Russo, I think there's something with Romo, too... It's how again how he says it more like he just 
comes across as very engaged in the game. Great enthusiasm. Um, and very pat. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so very like that. It sounds different. Um, yeah. I don't think I would think Breeze doesn't sound as different. Like Troyman to me is pretty good, right? Like he's just like a reliable person to watch the game with. Um, you know, kind of like I think you have to look at these broadcasts as if like their extension of like you know the people you have in your living room on the couch and like sure. to me Romo's the guy who's like jumping all around and being like oh you see that and like point and like yeah that's good now that can grow old sometimes and they're you know eventually that might be some backlash um and Aikman's more the guy at the end of the couch has you know beard in his hand maybe doesn't talk as much but when he says something like oh what is he oh Troy speaking let's hear what is what is he sure. point something else that's good uh so. Uh, you know, so that's the factor that, you know, we're going to have to listen to and see what Breeze is. Um, like, I haven't watched a lot of his, you know, I've seen clips of him talking, of course, but, like, I haven't studied him. And I don't know if that necessarily is totally tells you how good somebody – it's no. not like how – it's just it's a different animal being in that booth and looking down and being able to um, just be natural. And a lot has to do with uh, who your partner is. We'll have Tariko, so – He'll be able to guide them in and out, um, which is an underrated um, thing with great. these guys He's a lot great. of times. Yeah, yeah. In terms of being helped by, you know, uh, who your partner is. So, uh, yeah, so that's one. And then, you know, I think, I don't know, I'll let you say where we're going. But, you know, the Mannings, of course, are interesting. Yeah, let's do that next. One last thing I want to say about Romo in case we get away from it. We were kind of talking about his enthusiasm. You know what I think it is, at least for me? Let's say I watch the Saints game at 1, right? That's, that's my number one thing. I wake up, watch the Saints game at 1. 4 o'clock yep. game is a Romo-Nance game, right? And I'm questioning my my choices as a father and a husband and a 40-year-old man. Am I really going to spend seven hours on the couch today watching football? And then you start to listen to Romo talk about the game, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, this game is awesome. I got to watch. You know, he's just so excited about it that he makes me inst- instantly more excited about it. And I think that's kind of what makes him great. Yeah. In my opinion. And he also, and also what Romo's done too, like the anti-ESPN move, he's not everywhere. So he'll get paid so much. It's crazy how much he gets paid, right? But um, it makes it a little bit more special that he's not on every show. Like, he's yeah. just not, it makes it like when he talks, you haven't heard him talk for a, every day for a week. And like, that just waters down, you know, what people think of you. Instead, now he's just going to be associated with the big games. Like Al Michaels has done that for years. Where, yeah. Howard you know, Stern, kind of, you, Howard Stern yeah. was big on this. He hated when his guys were ever anywhere else because he thought it made them less funny on his show. You know what I mean? So he always tried to keep yep. that when they were talking, he wanted to be, you know, from six to 10 on his show, you know? So yeah, it's a good point. Um, you just don't burn out on Romo because that's the only place you see him. And, like, right now, I'm looking forward to him. You know, I can't wait. Hopefully, I get to see a Romo game right away this season. We've talked about the Mannings. We've talked about the pregames. We've talked about the booths. What's left? What's something I missed? What's another thing that will be in that column that I haven't asked you for? What's something else you're tracking? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to write right after this because I, I got all this stuff. Let me think. Um, well, I mean, look, the Monday night booth you have to look at. Yep. Uh, they're in year two. I think, you know, they were fine. It was probably just an improvement. Okay. Definitely, yep. it was an improvement. Yep. Yeah, it was okay. They stood out I of the way. You have to give them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, 
you know, they had the pandemic to deal with. Like, those guys like were never in the same room with each other. Right. And you know, they Greece didn't bring any knew negative each other attention. Well. No negative attention. No, it was yeah. better. Yeah, it was better. It's like, tremendous. Um, you know, is um, it was okay. So that's one um, that I'm looking at. Oh, I got you know, one. Buck I got and Aikman, one. Romo, go get, get yeah. gambling. Right, like we can go oh, way, okay. way back to Jimmy the Greek would give the, the score prediction, and it'd be like twenty nine fifteen, and you'd be like, "That's weird." And you're, oh, it's a thirteen point spread. He's saying they're going to cover the spread. Where now, I just mentioned the Superdome, is actually called Caesars. Right, like the gambling in the last year or two, has become so acceptable. It seems like compared to the year or two before that. When didn't the NFL flip out that Tony Romo was going to be at like a fantasy football convention in Vegas? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What do you think about yeah, well, gambling and how it's go- its role is going to increase in all these shows and the booths and this, the discussions? Yeah, I think we're getting there. It's going to, you know, five years from now, you know, we're talking again. I think it's going to be incredible how much, you know, it's uh, within everything. Uh, but yeah, this is where the money is. Um, talk about alternative broadcast i think that's where that's going to probably go into the gambling stage um so yeah you're going to see an increase in it right now they're limiting it somewhat they're kind of like playing it both ways right like right. But the money's gonna that's where the money is the money's going there that's where um yeah where everything is going to be inundated some people there'll be backlash i do think they'll be making a mistake if they try to make it the main thing i do think to me that stuff is in the over the top um, secondary platforms. If you're going to like bet, have betting broadcast, that's to me where that goes. Um, I don't know if the general public, like again, there's so much money in it, but it doesn't mean like everyone's going to do it. Right. It just means that there's so much money involved in it. And I just think that you can, if you want to tailor broadcast to that, I think there's way to really smartly do it because the person who's really interested in that, who's interested in that is really interested in it. And I think the person who's not interested in it will be annoyed if you try to shove it down their throat. So I don't think, um, to borrow a phrase from Chris Russo, cutting the baby, no, splitting the baby. Um, <laughs> good, good job, dog. He's, good he's, job, he's, dog. Yeah, he's, he's, he's cutting the baby one. Anyways, um, <laughs> splitting the baby. Um, splitting the baby, dog. That works, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that works. So I do think you have to um, – uh, but yeah, yeah, there'll be an increase for sure. But I just don't think you want to overdo it. I wonder if one of the shows, one of those shows, is like it's crowded here. We're not getting the attention, and they go to that as kind of like their way. You know what I mean to stick out. If they do go a little bit to the extreme on that, maybe someone makes that move. We'll see. Um, and fantasy, I think, is tied in there too, right? Like how much fantasy um, time. But I think ESPN is smart. They have a show for it. If you want to go to that show and then on their main show, they do maybe five minutes with Matthew Barry, you know, and maybe that's the right balance, yep. you know, a few minutes on the main show. And then, like you said, an OTT somewhere else. All right. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that's what I think. Yeah. All right. Um, was there anything else you were going to say? Cause I cut you off to get all excited about gambling for whatever reason. Was it, was there another one you wanted? To hit? No, if you could just send me. If you could just send me a transcript of this and I'll just use that as my column, <laughs> yeah. that would be, uh, save me some time. Here's the very last thing because I think it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing to me, and I know it's kind of a later yeah. discussion, but where does that Sunday ticket package stand? This year it's the same. 
You got to have DirecTV. I've had DirecTV for about 15 years now, and that's the only reason why. And I can't wait for the day where I can call them up and say, hey, I packed up all your stuff. It's on my front porch. Come get it. But for now, I'm stuck to them. But there's is there anything new? Is there any progress being made there? What do you think is the best case scenario for the Sunday ticket from a fan's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think the digital players make a lot of sense. I, th- I do think, again, I don't know this. I haven't been told this. You think, think they think split it? Some creativity. I, I, look, I don't know. If I knew exactly where I, I would tell you, I yeah. think Amazon probably one. If I were to point to one, I'd say Amazon. Okay. Um, that would be the one. Uh, but ESPN, I don't know. But, I, if, but if somebody else wins it out, I, that wouldn't shock me either. So I, I just think, like, I think Amazon NFL relationship is something to watch. Um, and it makes sense for them. And I do think you could do things. I do think there's some technology you could do things creative, creative, creatively. Like, if you're a Saints fan, Instead of getting the whole package for three hundred, could you just get the Saints for a hundred? Right. Like, could that make sense? You know, like and maybe fifty when you're doing for the red zone. Yeah, maybe the red zone too. Red yeah, zone in your main like, team, again, something like that. Yeah, or you, or like they make the bundle a little bit, you know, and then like oh, another seventy five bucks to get the bundle, right? So it's like you know, you probably be enticed just to get it all. Like I'll just get every game, um, you know. But uh, yeah, but to answer your question, I don't know where. If I knew, I would tell you. Hey, Nicole, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. What are some things in your notebook that you're interested to see play out in the offseason? Something that, you know, maybe so far has just been in theory, but now we're going to see it play out in practice. Like, are there some things you're looking forward to seeing? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, obviously there's a lot of, you know, on-field things that, you know, we're interested to see, like Spencer Rattler, um, you know, taking a step and and another year in in that offense. But, like, for me personally, I've been so, you know, reporting, spent so much time and energy on name, image, and likeness reform that I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like in season where, like, what if someone comes out of the blue to become a Heisman frontrunner or Sarah Fuller has, you know, kicks in a game in season, like, all of a sudden, the, the opportunity, like, what pops up? Do they say yes to it? How much money is at stake? Like, you know, when you, we usually we see people's, you know, follower counts. Well, we see all that stuff when there's those viral moments or a crazy catch, like Michael Penix Jr. stretches out like that, that, that stretch was on t-shirts, but like this year he could get a cut from that. Like, what does that look like? So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see that because it's kind of one of the few NIL angles that we haven't figured out yet as it's gotten underway. Right. It's like, well, what happens when someone pops? during the season what does that look like yeah and those things will happen right it's almost like a a when not an if you know someone is going to emerge you know a play is going to happen you know a fuller situation whatever all those things happen every year so yeah it'll be interesting to see when they do happen this year uh, how that affects nil how do you think it's gone so far like you think overall it's been a plus positive for players is there anything that worries you anything you're surprised yeah yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's been a net positive. Um, you know, I've been a proponent of the idea that you know everyone else on these college campuses can profit off of their names, images, and likenesses. And you know, we 
there is this one population that wasn't able to. Like I think about, you know, making a couple hundred bucks from the student newspaper at Michigan while I was there. Like no one, no one told me I couldn't do that because of, you know, the purity of the, the college newspaper, writing for the college newspaper. I freelanced for other outlets, got paid. Like it, 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 it was so normal for everyone else um, except for this one group of people on campus. So I think it's long overdue and, and I think it's great. I also think that people probably re were fear mongering too much heading into it because people are saying all this stuff like, Oh, they don't know how to do taxes. Well, like I didn't either. And you know what? Like my dad helped me. And then I figured it out on TurboTax. Like they'll figure that out. Right. Um, you know, some of the deals may not be, you know, the right amount. Maybe they're going to get low ball. Maybe they're going to pay too much. Like that stuff will work itself out. That's any market. And I, I also think, you know, stuff like locker room dynamic, like we'll see how that goes. But I, I think people are just uncomfortable with the idea of, of, them getting payment at all and, and still playing college football. But over the last five, 10 years, as, as salaries have ballooned and facilities have basically been rebuilt year in and year out, you know, it, it, the balance was just nowhere near right. And so I think it's been good. I think even those offensive linemen who are getting maybe one free meal a week because, you know, the local restaurant sponsoring the O-line or somebody got $100 to post about a T-shirt, and it's not that much money, let's say, but I, I still think that it's, it's good. I mean, that's what I thought this was going to look like. It wasn't all going to be, you know, $50,000 deals. And, you know, any any amount that guys can put in their pocket, I think is good. And, you know, the sport is still spinning. It's still going to have a season. People are still going to care. Um, and, you know, there's just a little more going on off the field. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out on the campus of the University of Michigan, specifically with the hockey team. You know, if Owen Power decides as an already number one pick in the league's draft to, you know, come back to the university and play, you know, maybe that's part of his decision. Maybe he thinks, you know, hey, I don't have to go back to Michigan for no money. I can go back to Michigan and maybe sign this $50,000 deal here, this deal here, and still get – because it sounds like he really wants to have that one year, you know, with fans in the stands, and they obviously – the very last minute lost their chance to play for the championship in the tournament because of COVID. So I think it's interesting there too, not just football, but you know, Michigan could have like three of the top 15 picks in the NHL draft already happened back on their campus. So that's interesting too, I think. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big deal for, for basketball too, especially when you talk about one on one and done, right, one and done, like yep. those, those, those fringe guys, like maybe they come back, um, you know, where they'll have that opportunity to make some money, but also can improve the draft position. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. that I think that's a perfect primer for off the field. Let's jump into on the field a little bit. And, you know, I was looking at the coaches poll. I had um, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders on. I uh, had Stuart Mandel on. And I don't know if this is a problem per se, but, man, it seems like, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Whether we're talking about Aaron Schatz computers, you know, or we're talking about the great work that Stewart does to come to his conclusions, uh, or the coaches, seems like everyone's locked in on those four teams with maybe Georgia, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, maybe even like Iowa State as a deeper horse in the next four. But what do you think about these four programs who's pretty much been synonymous with the college football playoff um, being the four names thrown around the most already again this year, 
Does this make you anxious for expansion? Does this make you um, feel like, oh, this is the way it should be. These are the four programs. Let's do the regular season and get, get to the business of these four teams. Or what do you think about this? The way it's, you know, once again, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Yeah, I, I get why we always consider them this way. I mean, it's clearly shown during the playoff era that it's not wise to bet against Nick Saban or, or Dabo Swinney or, or any of those programs because it's just there's such a clear upper echelon. I mean, you could even make the argument that the Oklahoma's not in that top uppermost echelon because they haven't won a game in the playoff, right? So there's just such a clear separation, and those programs are – recruiting at such a high level that there's no drop off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we saw the flash in the pan that it was LSU. And then we saw how fast that can, that can go away when you don't have, you know, that collection of talent and everything clicking and the chemistry, the way that it was that one run, um, you can see how, fall, how far it falls off. So, you know, I think Georgia belongs in that conversation, the way they recruit the talent. Um, you know, the quarterback that they have healthy now in JT Daniels um, and the way that he played the back half of last season. Like, there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. But I was having this conversation with my coworker, Ari Wasserman, about why he felt Alabama was actually overrated. Not to say that they won't end up, you know, at, at, sure. at number one or that they won't, they might not be the best team in the country, but they really did lose a lot. And they lost, like, the best Alabama offense we've seen one of the best offenses we've ever seen. And we just put them in that spot to start the season just because. And it's, I, I, again, I think Nick Saban and that program have gotten the benefit of the doubt for us, but it does feel like we do that with all the playoff teams nowadays, even when there are weaknesses or, you know, position groups that we are uncertain about because we just assume that they're going to end up there at the end. So I, I I agree that that sort of causes us to essentially overrate teams in the beginning, but I just don't know who else you would necessarily argue to put ahead of them, even if you're uncertain. Okay, well, what exactly you know is Alabama's offense going to look like? How long is it going to take to mesh this year? Um, you basically lost the best player in the country at every skill possession. Like I I don't know, <laughs> but I, I also understand why people vote that way. Yeah, it, it, I feel like we almost instead of comparing Alabama to the country, we now compare Alabama to other Alabama teams. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. almost the verbiage is like, well, this isn't going to be as good as the 2019 Alabama, but I think it's better than the 2017. Out, you know, it feels like it's kind of that way where it's like, well, you know, we'll just compare Alabama to Alabama because. There's nothing else, any other comparison, silly. I remember, right, and, yeah. and that's kind of how we, we talk about Clemson, too. Yep. I mean, and, and I get that we do. We're like, okay, is this the best Clemson team since the last national championship? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I, you know, we just, the, the level of expectation, but they don't give us a reason to, to write them off because there's just still such a clear gap behind those teams and everybody else. Like, we see that when we see Notre Dame make the playoff, right, where, like, yeah, they've had a great season. Yeah, there's still a major talent gap, right? When you when they take the field in those games, so it's just like I get why we default to putting those teams in that upper echelon. Yeah, and Oklahoma hasn't broken through yet. Man, they should have won that Georgia game. Though they're going to be kicking them. Baker Mayfield and everyone else on that team be kicking themselves forever that they didn't close that out. But um, you know, in the uh, as the career of Lincoln Riley has progressed. They're getting their pick of the five-star QB they want every year now. You know what I mean? And as he establishes himself there, he's 
I mean, he's bringing him in early before graduation. You know, it's just like, wow, you know, like even Oklahoma, I think, although they haven't broke in yet, and as they maybe transition to the SEC sooner than later, I think they're almost building up to that point, too, in the Lincoln-Riley era. I don't know what you think about Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested. That's one of the teams I'm most excited to see. Um, You know, Spencer Rattler, kind of by default, because, again, so many – there's so many great players. Like, I I don't watch a ton of NFL anymore, but, like, I'm super excited to see Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and all these guys that we felt like we really got to know and saw them grow. And so now, you know, by default, like, you've got Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell, the faces of this sport, Derek King – and, you know, there was just so much pressure put on Spencer Rattler last year because of the quarterbacks he followed who were able to put up record-setting numbers in year one in Lincoln Riley's offense where, like, they were coming in with more experience or they were yep. coming in, um, you know, with just a, a firmer grasp of the roster. It wasn't a COVID year. So I'm excited to see Spencer Rattler, you know, in, in that system now because I, I just think we put such unfair expectations on him and, you know, obviously we saw him struggle and Kennedy Brooks quarters is back. and decision making. Yep. Yeah, yep. Kennedy Brooks is back. That was, you know, there there's 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 a lot of reasons to be really optimistic about them. Um, but I, I just think like it was it was we, we just have such we put a lot of pressure on him last year and um I just think he's gonna he's gonna take over and and I, I again I'm gonna pencil Oklahoma into the playoff because you know they're more often than not they're they're in there. Vic Carucci, welcome to the Sportscasters. How are you doing today? I am great, Steve. Great to be with you. Have you compared the Bills team that made the run in the 90s to the Bills team now that seems prepared to make a run here in the 2020s? I mean, some of the comparisons are natural to make just because of a presumption that the talent level is good enough to label them a contender. I will stop way short in terms of the comparison of the the actual team's ability, this team's ability to match what the other team did or or even come close to it uh, in the sense that I knew the the team in the 90s had a core of Hall of Fame players. I don't know if there's a single Hall of Fame player on this roster, and I'm a Hall of Fame voter. Yep. Uh, and 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 I uh, that doesn't mean I have cornered the market on identifying Hall of Famer, but I do know that in studying and the research that I've done in many years of that process, uh, you have to have a body of work, uh, a complete body of work that says Hall of Fame. There isn't that guy doesn't exist. There are some talented guys. Josh Allen is a talented quarterback. Who has a lot of promise, uh, but needs to string it together consistently over years. I mean, that, that's I know I'm saying the obvious. Same with Stefan Diggs. Same with anybody else. And honestly, there is pretty much a bunch of everybody else's. It's it's not a star laden right. team, but it's a good. But it's a team. It's a it's a good functioning team. Right now, the best thing I think that can be said about the Bills, besides what Allen can do for them dynamically, certainly Stefan is that they're well-coached, and I do think there are similarities between the way Sean McDermott leads as a coach and what Marv Levy did, but I'm comparing Sean to a Hall of Fame coach. Sean is not a Hall of Famer by any stretch yet, 
uh, and maybe never will be, but but he's got qualities that from an organizational standpoint that do somewhat remind me of Mark. Different personalities, uh, harder-edged guy in the sense that he is, I, I'd say, you know, more, they're both meticulous, but Marv was more about letting players be themselves. Sean is, this is the profile. This is what I want you to be. This is what we, we believe we've identified as the successful uh, path and, and puzzle, and you all have to fit that puzzle. Brandon Bean, there's similarities with Bill Polian there. Uh, both outspoken Bill, a more fiery guy, but Brandon can be fiery if he needs to be. Uh, again, what I what I believe is similar is that he listens to Mar- to uh, Sean McDermott the way Polian listened to Marv, and vice versa, in in being on the same page and having a commonality of of what it takes to succeed and finding those right players to fit what the team does. I think the coordinators are strong. I think they're fortunate to still have. Brian Dayball for another season, and Leslie Frazier is the defensive coordinator. Don't know how much longer that'll last because I do think one or both uh, will get, get head off. coaching shots. Yeah. You know, and yep. in Frazier's case, it would be a, a second chance, but I think they're both very good at what they do. Uh, and same with the other people in the front office. Uh, you know, the, the Joe Shane, the assistant GM. So there's a lot of, of good components that speak to a comparison, but the expectation is in a different place. Yes, before the Bills became a Super Bowl team, there was uh, a, a, a long, you know, sort of drought. I mean, I covered them when Jim Kelly arrived. He arrived just after back-to-back two and fourteen seasons. Right. So there was nothing, nothing there, and the and the apathy was growing. And Ralph Wilson was wondering aloud, uh, "Can this team stay? Can this team still thrive in this market?" Because there were no fans. Well, now we've got a backdrop of something different. Can a new stadium be built that that needs to be built in terms of the team's view and the league's view? They are absolutely determined to do that, want that. But can the team stick around in its old place even while attracting full crowds, you know, full sellout crowds here? Uh, So there's a different dynamic there that changed. But once... Once I, I, I saw, or, or once I saw the excitement level build, um, I, I always wonder about, yeah, the potential for a letdown just because there was those those 17 seasons of no playoffs and people just feeling, um, you know, just just being apathetic about the team. Some, I mean, they were still supportive, but it was more about going to the game and doing goofy stuff in the parking lot. Sure. And, and trying to trying to get viral videos for doing ridiculous stuff versus being fans who were actually there to watch the game. I think there are more people interested in watching the game. You still got the knucklehead factor, but I still think there's there are people who want to watch the games. Interesting. Let me ask you this. I always love to ask this question when we're getting ready to start a new season. And I know you're an old school reporter, so you might actually keep a notebook. It might not just be figurative, but either way. A real notebook, or, no, or figuratively. No, I, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder uh, what things are you most interested in tracking as we get to the start of the season and through, let's say September. Like, what are the stories in your notebook that you want to see play out? And I'm talking league wide here, not necessarily the Bills or any other team, but league wide okay. as we go into the season. What things are you thinking? Like, I got to see how this works or how this plays out or. What happens here? What's in Vic's yeah. notebook right now? 
Yeah. Number one would be uh, how COVID is managed again by okay. the league. I thought it was managed well last year. Um, I, I am I am not as concerned as maybe I was a little bit earlier and a lot of people about it being a divisive, um, something that would pull apart teams and locker rooms, the disagreements over vaccine or no vaccine, sure. um, just like it's doing in society. But I, I think there are, when you've got the majority of players in the league, by all accounts, being vaccinated, I think that's taking that issue somewhat off the table. But the management of it, uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and will there be a team where there's an outbreak that occurs because of unvaccinated players, which is, you know, there's great potential for that because there are still going to every, you know, I would think every team based on what I can gather has unvaccinated players, um, you know, I, or, or most of right. just the Falcons, 100%. just the Falcons. The Falcons have sat there 100%. 100%. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so, and even, and again, even, even that we know doesn't assure us of anything, but, Let's let's see how that plays out. So that's sure. number one. Yep. Number two. Number two. I want to see uh, how Tampa Bay, um, you know, follows up its its Super Bowl year because they kept that team intact. Uh, Tom Brady remains, um, you know, to me, an amazing story, and and it will be even more amazing if he can pull it together for another year physically uh, and lead this club. He's he's. A lead this club to another Super Bowl. Um, he has he has the physical ability, I think, still to do that, even when the body says at his age it's not supposed to be. But he he has adjusted well. Uh, and now the question is, how hungry will the rest of the team be? He's the one who leads the charge there, and and I'm fascinated by that. Um, and then the other thing is kind of a cluster, and it does include the Bills. Who emerges? from a group of teams that I think are somewhat equal. I give the bills probably as much an edge as anybody. I, I can't put them ahead of Kansas city, but in the cluster of AFC teams that I would think one will end up in the super bowl, Kansas city, Buffalo, not that far behind, even though I thought the gap looked pretty great in that AFC championship game, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what the bills have done to close that from a defensive standpoint. And I believe I believe they've taken some strides there. Um, it'll also require Josh Allen to, you know, be better than he was, and he was great, or start or not not deteriorate because a lot of teams are are certainly uh, Chiefs, everybody included, focused on neutralizing what he did, counter counter having answers for those questions that he poses. Uh, but I look out for Cleveland. I think they're as loaded talent. I, on talent, I'm not sure there's a better team, but uh, I do I do think that they're just a, a little notch below where the Bills are, in my view. I like I love Kevin Stefanski. I think he's been he's turned things around in ways that I never thought were possible in my time with the Browns. Right. And then after that, uh, you know, working for them. Yeah. And then um, after that, uh, I would say uh, Tennessee is a is a fascinating team. I okay. think they. Got got some, you know. They've made some improvements, obviously, and uh, we'll see how that how that goes. Yeah, for them, I wonder can they pace King Henry? You know what I mean? After two, a lot of tread on those tires the last few years. A lot of tread. It's yeah. not only it's not only that. Um, it's also how you uh, and, and the biggest issue. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Steve, because yeah. the biggest issue with them is do you, can you bring 
uh, enough of that offensive balance that they did at times last year. I do think they are a, 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 a they can be they can be I don't know if they are they can be um, a dynamic offense. I mean, I, I think they've got that capability, and I think they get they get maybe underrated at times uh, for you know their their offensive firepower, and and, and obviously they've tried you know, to add to that in and this offseason yeah, uh, with, with Julio. But Ryan Tannehill is a, is a good player. Um, and, and yes, they lean heavily on, on Derrick Henry. But I think the ideal formula for them is to pound Henry when they have to after, you know, matching firepower through the air. Yeah, spreading you out a little bit. And then, then you throw Henry in there. This is one that I'm sort of interested in getting your thoughts because you mentioned – Hall of Famers, and of course, <clears throat> Drew Brees is going to be one, uh, but he's gone, right? Um, Deshaun Watson, not going to play this year, doesn't seem like, maybe he will, but not right away. Some question marks there. That team seems to be bad. But there's been so many moving parts in quarterback this offseason with Carson Wentz going to Indy, the, a huge draft class, you know, and they flashed a little bit already, right? Lance had the big... 80-yard touchdown pass, does that eventually mean he's going to take over Jimmy G? Fields is going to supposedly be the best quarterback ever to play for the Bears. He's there now. Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. It seems like maybe more than most years or recent years that there's just a little bit, and maybe you even go back to the class of Tua, uh, just a lot of turnover at the quarterback position. I wonder how it's going to settle in. You know, who's going to kind of emerge as the, the next tier behind Mahomes and Rodgers and Brady, let's say, and Allen, we'll even throw him, and and Russ. Maybe those are the top five. Maybe there's one other guy I'm missing. Who's going to move up as the next best five, you know, of all these guys that have come in yeah. and moved around? Oh, that's a great <laughs> – That is, a, and, and that one is, is on my mind as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think – uh, it, everything you mentioned makes a lot of sense. I'm not as fixated on the rookies emerging. You know, I, I like what the potential is for Justin Fields. I like what the potential is for you know some of these other uh, some of these other quarterbacks uh, certainly. And 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 I'm probably I mean Fields is one that you're that that is interesting, but I'm probably just as interested in Trey Lance and what he'll do with sure. San Francisco. Yeah. Uh even though by all accounts it's Jimmy Garoppolo's team, but he's supposed to see some significant time and has a lot of ability. Uh Zach Wilson is fascinating because yep. he's a young you know or or he's got the young he he looks like he's just this baby faced guy and he looks he doesn't look big enough to really like he's going to withstand getting yeah. pounded on. He because looks I don't know slight. what that line. I know. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a slightly built sort of guy. And, and that happens. And then and as Tom Brady was when he was a rookie, but then you, you kind of reconfigure your body somewhat. Not that Tom is a jacked up uh, Tim Tebow physical specimen, but he's, he's a bigger, you know, he, he became a lot bigger than he was at this lanky gangly rookie. Uh, but but Wilson is interesting because he seems smallish in so many ways. But he is he does have a uh, an elevated kind of view and, and head for the game. Anyway, as far as the quarterbacks go, though, it, it, again, I put I, I, I put Patrick Mahomes in a category of his own. I don't sure. think anyone's close to him, and that includes Josh. I think Josh is really good, 
but but he's but but he's behind Mahomes on uh, is in terms of top to bottom, head to toe quarterbacking. There are just things Mahomes can do that no one does that I've seen, and, and it's incredible. Yeah, he's unreal, and, and uh, you know he's unreal. Josh is still certainly right up there in that category, but Aaron Rodgers remains. Yeah, uh, a a a top force, a guy that you got to look at and say, okay, I respect what he can do. Um, Tom Brady isn't going anywhere. I don't think, at least for another year, and I would not count him out of a thing. Um, ben Roethlisberger is going to be interesting physically. How does he hold up? And again, questions behind. You know, what is the line that's in front of him, uh, and how that will, you know, how will, how will that function? Um, but but. Uh, and, and there's a lot of questions about that. Uh, so at the core, Russell Wilson, uh, for sure, still great. Is, is someone to look at and yep. still great. So you still, so I think, and, and here's the other thing I'll, I'll just say generally about this topic. I think um, the, the, the NFL, the, in terms of its popularity, in terms of what keeps people coming back, uh, it begins yep. and usually ends with QBs. And if you don't have, you know, if you've got them and you've got a good collection of them, uh, which I think the league has. Uh, usually, you're in good shape, and I think the league's in good shape. Yeah, there was that like little down period in the maybe the middle of the Breeze Brady, Manning Rogers era where the back end was lousy. Seems like it's really rounded off. Like we didn't even mention the real story this year in terms of QBs might be the second year guys. You know, Burrow coming back from the ACL with the you know yeah. Chase as a new weapon. You know. Justin Herbert was amazing last year. Does he take another step? You know, a full season for um, Alabama, Oklahoma. My boy, why can't I think? Of, uh, why can't I think of his name with Philadelphia? Oh, two, uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about Tua Tagovailoa. No, no, no. He's what in he Alabama. Oh, he, Matt Jones. Uh, no, <laughs> here we go. No, who All are right. you talking about? We're talking about the Eagles quarterback who played at Alabama and then oh, Oklahoma. Jalen, yeah, Jalen Hurts. Okay. Uh, Jalen Hurts. There we go. He's going to get a full okay. year. Sorry about Sorry. that. A lot of Alabama damn there's quarterbacks. Of, I shouldn't no, have said Alabama. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said the, the Lincoln Riley product. Uh, that would have narrowed it down yeah. to three, although that would have been difficult too. And speaking of Lincoln Riley uh, products, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray too. So a lot of great yep. quarterbacks uh, to keep yep. you interested. Oh, yeah. All right, the sportscasters are here. Finish it up with Vic Carucci, who, of course, you can hear his voice on Sirius XM on the uh, NFL channel there. Uh, he's been doing it for years there, and he's still a contributor here in Buffalo, uh, where I am, uh, on Channel 2, WGRZ. And um, he's still writing and voting for the Hall of Fame and doing all of those things as well. All right, let's get you out of here on this. One last thing. Uh Every year, it seems like there's a team or two we're not talking about in August that takes a step forward and becomes one of the stories of the season and ends up in the playoffs and maybe even making a run. I'm thinking about a team like my Saints in 2017 who had had a few seven and nines in a row, and then they have the unbelievable draft with Marshawn Lattimore and Ramchick and all of that, and they go 11-5 and five and all the way to the almost – stepping into the NFC Championship game before the Minnesota Miracle. Uh, who's a team like that for you this year? Is there a team that nobody's really talking about that you feel like can put it all together, make a jump, maybe one in each conference, maybe not, maybe you don't see a team like that? Yeah. What, is there uh, anyone striking I, you? N- not really. Chargers? Uh, I mean, I think – mm, you got a new coach there. Any, sure. any place that's starting with a new head coach – 
I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know it's not impossible, but systems are new. Yeah, I like, I, I certainly like Justin Herbert, but I, but I don't know what fair a point. new yep. head coach. It's fair point. Got very limited, limited time. Uh, what difference does he make? It, the, the Colts are going to be interesting for sure. Frank Reich, great coaching, uh, almost made it work with Philip Rivers last year. Going to try to make it work whenever. You see Carson Wentz, you know, on the field. We'll see how that how that works out, but there, there's some potential there. Um, but as far as any any circumstance, and even with a veteran college coach at the helm of like Jacksonville, obviously with Urban Meyer, I I just think that Trevor Lawrence, top draft pick or not, is still got growing pains. He's going to go through. The, the Bengals will be a hard out for somebody. They're not, not they're, you know, they won't be an easy right. out. They, yeah. I don't believe that. I don't see that they're going to be anything spectacular, but I do think uh, Joe Burrow and, and, and how he gets over, you know, the mental challenge uh, that he frankly has uh, of, of this need that that's what I'm, what I'm hearing is that, you know, so anyway, um, that I'm, I'm hearing that he's still dealing with that as, as a little bit of a, uh, uh, a, a little bit of a hurdle that sure. he ha- has to clear. Yeah. I want to thank Nick Underhill for making his debut on the podcast today. I also want to thank those in the mashup, Nicole Auerbach, Andrew Marchand, and Vic Carucci. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscaster podcast on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also hit me up on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out my friend Peter Winson, his show, Greetings from Allentown. It's back. It had a short hiatus, but it is back. It's back strong. Uh, 1987 WWF. Uh, And then he mixed it up on me, which I didn't love, with a 2011 show. Um, But Peter getting out of his comfort zone, give him credit for that. Don't forget to check out on the weekends, Greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. It's all at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, I also wanted to mention the 24-inch podcast, of course. It's at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast. On Twitter, it's at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook by just searching 24-inch podcast. Asking to join and we'll let you in the group. Our last episode uh, was SummerSlam 1991. And our next episode is going to be a house show from the Spectrum. In Philadelphia from 1984, Hulk Hogan wrestled Big John Studd. I do this podcast with Hollywood Dave Rollins, who I will be visiting in New Jersey next week. Can't wait. All right, before I can get to that, I have to do one last thing. And one last thing this week is easy topic-wise. It's NFL picks. So I'm going to make my NFL picks. I'll do the division picks. I'll do the uh, wild cards. Uh, it's three in each conference, uh, and then I'll pick the playoffs, and then I'll pick uh, an MVP and a couple other awards. All right, let's start with the AFC, uh, where I'm going to pick the Buffalo Bills to win the East. 
I'm going to pick the Cleveland Browns to win the North. I'm going to pick the Tennessee Titans to win the South. And I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to win the West. For the wild card, I'm going to pick the New England Patriots. I'm going to pick the... <laughs> uh, the San Diego Chargers, who now play in L.A., so you got to call them the L.A. Chargers. But they're still San Diego to me, damn it. And I'll pick the Indianapolis Colts as my wild card team. So I'm going to leave Baltimore out. feel like they're having a bad stretch, <laughs> and that's going to carry into the season. All right, NFC East, I'm going to pick the Cowboys. Uh, NFC North, I'm going to pick the Packers. NFC South... I guess I'm going to pick the Buccaneers. And in the West, I'll pick the Rams. Wild cards, I'm going to pick the Saints. I'm going to pick the Cardinals. And I'm going to pick... the 49ers. So I'm going to leave out the Seahawks. Tough to do because I love Russ. And uh, then for the Super Bowl, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. And I'm going to say the Chiefs are going to play the Cowboys. And I'll pick the Chiefs to win. No, hell no. That Cowboys team ain't making the Super Bowl. What am I talking about? <laughs> I'm going to pick the Chiefs. And I'm going to pick the Buccaneers. No, fuck the Buccaneers. I ain't picking the Buccaneers. All right, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. To play the Rams. I ain't picking the Rams. Screw the Rams. Had it with them. Can't stand them. They cheated in 2018. All right, just do it, Steve. You're going to pick the Saints and the Chiefs. I'm going to ride Jameis, that horse that he is, and Sean Payton, one of the best coaches of his generation. I'm going to ride those guys right to a Super Bowl berth. Uh, I'm not going to pick the Chiefs to win it, though. I mean, I don't want to be accused of getting crazy on everyone here tonight. You know what I mean? I don't want to be. I don't want to be nutty. I always tell Paula she's nutty. MVP. Mm. Who's the MVP? Josh Allen. Who's the defensive player of the year? TJ Watt. Comeback player of the year, Jameis Winston. Just barely edging out. Saquon Barkley. I want to thank everyone who listens to the Sportscasters and to the 24-inch podcast. I am off to Jersey, but I'll be back with another episode after that. Chase Miss Brennan